Hey, hi. Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is the other thing I do for five years now. Isn't that something? Breaking news, by the way. If you're going to be at Toronto Comic-Con later this month, and if Toronto Comic-Con isn't shut down by virus panic, come by and catch our very first live episode, Sunday, March 22nd at 2 p.m. in the podcast theater, room 802B. I will be doing a SEMcast uh, with... I'm pretty sure you're going to like the guest. My guest this week is Marie Clements, a writer, director, and producer whose credits include the feature documentary The Road Forward and the shorter work Looking at Edward Curtis. Her first dramatic feature, Red Snow, follows the emotional journey of a Gwich'in Canadian soldier trying to survive after he's taken hostage by the Taliban in Afghanistan. It opens in Toronto, Vancouver, and Ottawa this Friday, March 13th. And we were both in the UK last month, so somehow this very Canadian episode was recorded high over London. Marie picked Crash, Paul Haggis's Oscar-winning 2004 drama about a dozen or so people in Los Angeles whose lives are entangled by race, privilege, circumstance, and traffic. Boasting a killer ensemble cast for a smallish indie, it premiered at TIFF in the fall of 2004, opened theatrically in the spring of 2005, and one year later went to the Oscars with six major nominations, winning Best Picture, Best Original Screenplay, and Best Film Editing. It was a dark horse contender then, and it's kind of been an underdog winner ever since. Although, to be honest, I think it's pretty decent. So does Marie. This is someone else's movie. Why this crash? Uh, I was thinking about that when I was asked. Um, and that, you know, we're going through the kind of the um, file card of all the films that, in, that you've ever seen that impacted you. Sure. But um, I think uh, it still remains uh, one of those films where um, I wasn't ready for it. Um, I think I wanted to see something like Crash, but I wasn't really ready for it. And there's a couple scenes that I'll never forget in the film itself. So um, those are the things that stayed with me, even though the film came out in 2004. Mm-hmm. Um, I can still reference those, those two scenes that kind of went, wow, that's, that's so disturbing and uh, human and terrible and extraordinary. Well, okay, let's get right to it. What, what are the scenes? <laughs> what are they? I'm, I'm, I can think of a couple that stood out that strongly, but I don't want to... I don't want to indicate anything. Well, it's, it's probably so. the same ones, right? Yeah. But it was, um, it was with the the cop and obviously the the couple coming, coming back from the award show. Right. And uh, the, those two encounters, uh, the first one, of course, when the cop humiliates her in front of her husband, uh, was really I wasn't expecting that for the first time viewing, and then of course the scene where that same cop uh, pulls her out of the car. And her reaction to seeing him, uh, and this 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 intimate moment where there's a switch, um, where he saves her, and there's something in that moment where I think he also saves himself. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that is. I mean, everyone remembers. You know, Matt Dillon was the Oscar nominee of the entire cast. He was the only actor to be nominated, and those two scenes are why clearly, right? I mean, they they demonstrate incredible range. But also, he has Tandy Newton as a scene partner, and she's, yeah, she's amazing. She has to carry all that with her for the entire film and, and, and play the extreme emotions in both cases, humiliation and panic and terror and you know, just completely breaking down for different reasons both times, really, throughout yeah. the film. I think it was, yeah, it was just so nuanced on the idea that... Um I, I think her, like, her betrayal of that character 
just she's such a obviously a beautiful woman uh, in this character, but just the rage that is inside of that that she has to live with from this incident, and even it kind of the uh, you know with her husband witnessing too was almost worse. It was almost because now they had this secret between them that revealed things um, that could end a relationship very easily. Yeah, and the I've been wrestling with this because. Crash has become the, uh, I'm trying to think of what the term is, it's become the easy target for the well-meaning Oscar nominations and, and awards because it won Best Picture, mm-hmm. because it is a film ostensibly about empathy and humanity, and these are things that people are very uncomfortable with, and because Paul Haggis is sort of a schematic writer and a much more emotional director, it seems to reveal his mechanisms you can see the bones of the of the film in the script. You can see the script's bones a lot easier than some other films. I think since Green Book came out, Crash has gotten a, a, a little better understanding. I like it. I mm-hmm. you know I I never understood why. I mean I do. I understand cynicism, right? Why people were just sort of crapping on it almost immediately. But we were talking about this before mm-hmm. we started recording. I was on the jury at TIFF in two thousand and four. That we were um, we were watching all the discovery entries and this was one of them and crash was it was a contender for our prize for the for Preshi prize um and this is the world premiere it was a year and a half before the oscars uh they didn't even have it wasn't ready for us to see in advance we actually had to it was one of the handful of movies that we saw at the world premiere because the print was wet they brought it in fresh Mm -hmm. And they trotted out all the stars, and it was this big deal. And like, oh, Sandra Bullock will be there. We have to get you in early ahead of security. Come on. Um, But it was, it is a little, uh, not tortured, but it is a little obvious in the way that it lines everything up and the way that it brings everything together. But I still think that the underlying message is something that is really sincere and, and, I think he is Paul Haggis as a uh, a well hmm, how, yeah I don't want to sound like I'm insulting him but a well secluded like he is the gated community guy in the film effectively he's the one who exists apart from all of these things and looks down and says oh that's bad I should write a movie about it but he's done it he's he's made the movie and he's trying to make this statement and you know to watch everyone just sort of discard it um, because it was a small film with a lot of big stars and actors who signed on because they believed in something. And the drama is a little obvious, but it's allegorical and archetypal. I, I think you, I don't know how you make a movie like this that is subtle. I don't know that you can, right? Like Soderbergh could probably do it, but it would be a different film. Yeah, I mean, all the, all the narrative threads, you know, uh, obviously were constructed to collide and and uh, re, uh, realign themselves uh, in time, which is what I found as a writer exciting to th- figure out, you know, uh, why, he, you know, not only you're, you experience the film and then you're going back and going, oh, was that too obvious or could have that, you know, been strung differently. But I do, I did appreciate um, the effect of it. Uh, and I think that's something that is, is, um, is possibly like the, the form of it had the effect to emotionally shift something as you watched it. So I think there's something in that form that I love, um, whether it was perfect or not, mm. or, or to me perhaps too obvious. 
uh, and I was reading back on it, and I think he said when he won, you know, the biggest awards um, yeah. for it, he said he he himself did not think it was the best film of that year, but he did believe that it was the film that touched people probably the most. Yeah. And I thought that's kind of extraordinary because I know there's, you know, obviously there's, you know, just so many beautiful filmmakers uh, and ways to approach things. But there's something about um, the, sh- the content, the themes, something that's current, something that's human that kind of um, allows us to be affected emotionally, which uh, is really not a dirty word. It's actually, you know, why we go see films. We want to be... Um, pushed and uh, to feel so yeah yeah and I think maybe I I wonder if maybe some of us are uncomfortable with watching people in that level of sort of melodramatic pain um, up close I mean the the poster was Matt Dillon cradling a, a wailing Tandy Newton and that just says like this is the kind of emotional hit you're gonna have and and Maybe the Academy responded to that en masse because they all watched it at home. That was a big part of it. Lionsgate sent out DVDs and okay. an unprecedented for your consideration push at the time huh. because it was a small film that wouldn't have been noticed. Uh, and maybe you can just relate to that privately more easily than you can in an audience. Certainly the crowd I saw with, it was the Elgin, I think, so it would have been, mm. it was a big room and people were into it. I mean, TIFF audiences mm. were notoriously supportive and they applauded a lot, but... It felt like people were behind it. It felt like people understood what it was trying to do. Well, I think it made us, um, or made some of us, uh, I mean, those of us that are uh, culturally diverse um, and live in cities and with histories that have always been culturally uh, coming, you know, coming at all sides and we're having to deal with it every day and our own prejudices and and uh, uncomfortable about racism. Um, I think that... It's just um, the wind. It's, it's just, just the, wind. the wind. Oh, no, we fell off the building. <laughs> um, I think, you know, for for those of us that had to deal with racism or deal with these topics, I think that was kind of a relief to see, even if, um, I mean, we had it was such a mixed cast and it was such a uh, very different perspectives of uh, how we look at each other and how we don't. And uh, I think that was refreshing. Like, it just kind of went, okay, you know, uh, it, this film recognizes that we're all in the world together, good or bad, and dealing with each other. Yeah, it's a, and again, it's somebody who, it's, it's, a, it's a white middle-aged man, a white middle-aged Scientologist at the time. Oh, wow. Well, making this film. Yeah, Haggis very famously okay. fled the church, or if it's a church at all, uh, to the point where the, I, I've, I've met him a few times around TIFF, uh, but not enough that you know he would recognize me. And I ran into him in New York three or four years ago around Thanksgiving and just said hi. And he reacted just like he was scared that someone had I recognized him. But apparently this is a state he exists in that he's worried about reprisals. Uh, he's, he's spoken about it um, oh, wow. after okay. leaving the Church of Scientology. Okay. And I had to apologize. And he's like, no, 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 I'm Canadian. It's okay. Everything's fine. I'm nice. I'll talk to him. Yeah, exactly. And he was yeah. still a little, he was a little nervous, even after okay. I told him who I was and where we'd met before. Uh, and I guess, I mean, I assume celebrities have this anyway, this built-in yeah. nervousness. But I have never bumped into anyone that I vaguely recognize and had them be scared to be named. Okay. I just said, hey, Paul, how are you? And he's like... <laughs> Who are you? Yeah. yeah. Where are you coming from? Yeah. yeah. It was, oh, that's something. Yeah. Okay. Um, but for him to make this movie and to, 
I guess in 2004, it was probably... Well, it's, a, it's never been hard for a white filmmaker to make mm-hmm. a movie like this, but in 2004, it was probably simpler to just get people on board, right? You don't have to... Well, I, it doesn't seem that far away, 2004, but then when you really look at the numbers, you go, hey, wait a minute, yeah. uh, that was over 15, is no my line, 15 years ago. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of extraordinary, and, and I do think the times were, you know, different in the sense, um, because I think uh, things have shifted uh, around those topics and around those politics and uh, cultural politics and oh, yeah, yeah. Um, politics and film and uh, artists and who gets to say what and and um, all those things, which is exciting. But um, yeah, I guess it, I guess it really has shifted, hasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Well, I mean, at the time, it was perceived as brave and bold that a man could make that anyone could make yeah. a movie that simply says hey racism is bad and we should all just sort of listen to each other right. and maybe there is some element I mean certainly the, I think the subplot with Michael Pena would be it's the one thing I don't think holds right. up at all just right. because of the you know what it is it's the screenwriter's gimmick of the switch with the bullets right right and right. It just, it just <laughs> you're like well because yes. when it happens in the in the movie it is yeah. this huge build up and it's this big it's the one crescendo that he doesn't really earn right. as a filmmaker that Haggis okay. sort of because he knows it's the you know William Goldman's story about Butch and right. Sundance and how the um, the big jump the super posse sequence when right. um, uh, he wrote about it at length in Adventures in Screen Trade he's like I know that Sundance can't swim. And that's the whole scene is building towards that, and it's going to be such a brilliant moment. It's like, well, it is great, yes, but it's not the point of the scene. It's a joke that lands, right. and here it's the same thing. It's the whole movie in in Haggis's mind seems to be based on this huge reversal, and it's all because we, the audience, have made the assumption that the bullets right. are real, but the movie's actively tricking us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it goes on for so, that that sequence, that moment goes on for so long that you can feel the, the film sort of straining to sell it. Yeah. And it's also because we assume that, you know, all Latino characters are bad and, and sinister and calculating. That's where the film's state of mind is, even though the film doesn't want it to be. Yeah. It's well, this unconscious it's, it's, bias. Yeah, it's very set up with, you know, the the politician's wife and that whole scenario about, you know, changing the locks and and uh, her kind of breakdown too. So there's, there's I think there's moments where I go, I... Not necessarily in the buy-in, but um, I think sometimes, uh, I guess people are pushing, you know, writers are pushing to connect things that might necessarily don't have to be that clean. Yeah. Right? So, um, it's, but it's, I guess it's it's easier for us to look back and go, hey, wait a minute, why didn't you do this? Or uh, why are these moments, you know? I also Um, remember a throwaway line somewhere in the middle about the bullets. Oh, it's uh, it's the scene where the... Buying the blanks, yes. where somebody says, "Do you want those? You sure?" Yeah. And then I just thought, "Oh, okay. That's that's links and pipe. That's something okay. that will come back." Right. And of course it did. Yes. Um, but it's that weird thing where Haggis's earnestness and and his yeah. co-writer Bobby Moresco, <clears throat> they're both working towards something, and I think they feel like their end game justifies whatever else is necessary. So the brutality of, of Dylan's mm-hmm. character yeah. in his racism, in his misogyny, in his mistreatment of, of everyone around him yeah. in that scene is justified by the fact that he is a good person underneath or that he's capable of being a good person. And that binary, right? The black-white thing, and not in terms mm-hmm. of race, but in terms of morality, that's what the movie wants to play with. And ultimately... 
for not you know, I keep wanting to say forgiven yeah. because that's the music that's the tone yeah right. but it's not redemptive exactly right because he's still that person yeah I don't I don't think it's redemptive I think it's because uh, I guess what I think what he was trying to say is that it's not re- totally redemptive but it is human mm-hmm. and uh, you know even as a you know a, a, a witness to the drama you're going well I really. I can't hate Matt. I really want to hate his character, but um, then this, you know, then he's seeing how beautiful he is with his father, and you're like, oh god, why can't you just be a total asshole? But you're not, right? Yeah. yeah. So, but I think that's uh, that's a lot like real events and you know people we meet that are not just one thing. Yeah. And uh, that's that gets complicated. Yeah. And, and, it's, brings, yeah. and it's what movies are not supposed to want to right. do, right? Because we think we're going for clarity. Yeah. Uh, and especially at that time, before... I mean, empathy filmmaking, it's always been there. Roger Ebert's line about the empathy machine and how cinema mm-hmm. is the thing that lets us see other people's lives. Um, there was a point where... I mean, I, I find it absolutely fascinating that so many people hate Crash because it won Best Picture of the Year that Brokeback Mountain was right. Which is unfair. It's not, you know, deserves got nothing to do with it. It's yeah. never about that. It's always just a choice. Uh, that the Academy makes as, a, as an entity. Right. Uh, of, of, you know, at the time it would have been like 5,500 completely, di- uh, not diverse really, but completely right. unrelated people. Yeah, not diverse Way really. Diverse <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, but Brokeback Mountain is a film about the same thing. Like it's about living somebody else's perspective and understanding. Uh, it's just. It's about sexuality and gender right. rather than about yes. uh, prejudice and racism, although yeah. it's still about prejudice. And. I mean, I don't think in the rearview mirror, I don't think there's any question that one film is superior to the other, but they're both trying to do something for an audience that doesn't necessarily want to see that level of complexity portrayed in the characters that they're being presented with. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I think we do want to see it, right? I mean, I, I think there's a whole bunch of people that don't, and probably that's why a lot of other movies don't get made. Yeah. But I do think that, um, I think uh, diverse people want to see diverse people on screen sure. in real life um, situations. Um, and uh, uh, every other movement, you know, whether it be a gay rights movement, uh, lesbian rights, like people want to see their stories because it's, you know, part of the human condition and why can't we see more? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, I think it was a bit of, uh, maybe it was the timing of 2004 when both these films were in, you know, in the running. And, uh, you know, both really extraordinary in very different ways and uh, probably not perfect in other ways for all peoples. Right. Well, but that's the, what I mean. You know, but the stakes are high when you actually see, you know, a movie uh, of you probably, you know, gay rights for a lot of people. Like, you kind of see that movie has to be everything, and yet it can only be uh, one filmmaker's, you know, uh, yeah, vision yeah. of the world. Well, and especially um, in the case of Brokeback, where it really yeah. is only a handful of people. It's a small cast. It's yeah. The first hour is just the two of them. Right. It's, um, I guess what I was, I'm not sure I'm articulating it properly. I think my, my the challenge is that they're, well, Brokeback is a studio film. Like mm-hmm. It's coming out of focus and universal. And so, you know, Ang Lee is wrestling with the demands of a mainstream audience, right. the expectations of a mainstream audience. And, yeah. and so he pulls back, I think, on a lot of the sexuality. Right. And it's, I mean, it's there in yeah. the actor's performances, but it's not a, it's nowhere near as confrontational, not even graphic, but right. just 
uh, honest about mechanics and about everything. A lot of stuff is out of frame. A lot. We just we right, don't right. see things, and yes. we don't see a lot of physicality um, because I think the presumption is that audiences were ready for it. Yeah. And with Crash, it felt like Haggis is turning up the ugliness because he wants to confront audiences with it, but he can because it's all right. just dialogue, right? Like it's right, not. Right, right. It's right, a, it's yeah. a thing you can do. Yes. And so Crash gets mistaken for the more. Got you. Honest depiction okay. of the thing. Okay, That's what you. I was yeah, trying to yeah. go for. Sorry, I'm putting it together. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. The the fact that Crash has, I mean, it has black characters dealing with white racism mm-hmm. between themselves. Like yes, the, yeah. That's the thing we hadn't seen before. Yeah. In a, exactly. in a frame like that. Yeah. It has, um, it has Latin characters interacting, privileged uh, white characters, in a way that shows us. That the white characters are the bad guys, right? Like the, um, the the casual racism, the assumptions, the presumptions, right? And the dignity is on the other side. The dignity is given to the characters who are just being forced to suffer through all of this, right. which which is bullshit, right? I mean, <laughs> in any kind of yeah. power base or any kind of real situation, but mm-hmm. for the purposes of the drama, Haggis has to make us sit in it. Yes. And I always wondered about that from the perspective of. A Latin audience. Right. How would they feel about that? I mean, they get it, but it's still... You're watching the beatdown, you're not watching the triumph. Yeah. Well, I guess I, I guess that's the complication of um, dealing with so many uh, storylines, so many kind of issue-based storylines within one structure. Sure. And wrapping it up, you know. Because I, I, do, I do think that the structure really... Part of it is um, if it's constructed to have collisions and... And kind of an overall, you know, effect of just being, you know, in a slammed up in front of another person, and it's not that great. Right. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. True. It's not that great. But I, yeah, I mean, I didn't. I thought maybe, you know, when um, the politician's wife, when she falls down the stairs, and you know, the Latino maid is the only one, only friend she has. You know, there's things like that. I go, oh, okay, well. I don't know, but um, I think it was maybe you're right that things were tied up a little too, just tied up, uh, a little too well. Um, but I guess that's part of um, um, part of the, the structure of it, right? Because I don't know, like obviously that's probably not real, is it? Um, but these relationships that people take advantage of, uh, and they have. Um, you know, they have more status in those relationships and uh, they think they own the world and yet they're being looked after by people that help them live in a world uh, mm-hmm. that that keeps that status up. Yeah. So th- that was interesting for me. I don't know, you know, if it was entirely successful, but I think it was trying to get at um, all these uh, second uh, decisions we make in life, walking down the street and we're passing by each other and we just saw each other, you know, this way or that way, but we don't know what each other's going through. We don't know uh, how we're going to impact each other, if we are at all. Um, so that's, I guess that was what, what fascinated me about it. Like even in the filmmaking, you know, every other, you know, when we're... Um, intersecting from one storyline to another you know someone's passing by that you saw on the scene you know five scenes down yeah. and this guy's driving by and this woman's you know so I kind of I don't know why I loved all that that stuff that it was this kind of big ensemble uh, you know not a play but it was just an ensemble 
performance where um, perhaps we're uh, more connected than we think we are. Yeah, it's one of those. Um, it's one of it's not a gimmick exactly, but it is a narrative device where. You're right. It would work on a play because yeah. uh, it would work on stage because we would only have a handful of actors and we would only see the same people over and over again. Yeah. It's the, the the trick. I'm always waiting. I don't know why. It's it's perverse on my part, but I'm always waiting for the pullout to find out it's some sort of space zoo where the only people here are these people we've been right, watching. Right. Because that would explain why they keep running into but, each yeah, other. Yeah. Right. But that's silly. No. Uh, <laughs> I acknowledge that. That's just me. That's okay. You can you can give them those notes. Hey, Paul. Yeah. Exactly. Next time we see him. Did right? you think about a space zoo? <laughs> Did you think think about doing this? Um, yeah. That would make sense of a lot of other movies, <laughs> but it was it was in vogue very much at the time, right? Yeah. To, um, the it was it was something Miramax pioneered because okay. they keep casting the same seven or eight actors in, right. in movie after movie after movie, and it spread through independent cinema, and it actually gave us a lot of Soderbergh's pictures, mm-hmm. um, which are great because yeah. he uses um, mass casts to look at at a, at a subject at an institution or or, mm-hmm. uh, or a cultural social thing and and I think Haggis and Moresco's script does the same thing right. it, it is very uh, yeah it's interdependent yes um, on on relationships yeah. but it's also yeah you're right there there there's definitely a uh, an insistence on making sure we don't see one person as any one thing exclusively. Um, and we get to see people from other people's perspective. We see characters are revisited from other perspectives in, in um, moments that like, that make us recontextualize our opinions of them. Yeah, which which I like because I think it is it's hard to go, uh, especially dealing with topics of like racism and prejudice. It's it's hard to really go. Oh, any one person is any one thing, mm-hmm. and um, it's good to remember that it's uh, usually a lot more complicated good or bad yeah. but um, maybe that's what I appreciated too because it's uh, it's. I think it's really complicated and LA yeah. is a really complicated history and uh, is still a complicated city in regards to how that plays out so uh, I appreciated that it really represented you know the land it represented um, a kind of historical uh, contact that was never quite uh, comfortable yeah yeah, certainly. I mean, it's. Um, I mean, it, I mean, it's a it's a desert community, effectively, right? It's just it's literally. There was no indigenous people in it. That's the only. I was going to say, yeah, yeah it's literally okay. settled land, and the yeah. film doesn't really deal with that. <laughs> yeah. And it's, I wonder if that's because Haggis just doesn't encounter them, or because they were all, like, literally driven out before, long before he ever got there. Well, he's, he probably doesn't recognize them. I mean, there, it's mm-hmm. it's the highest population of indigenous uh, uh, urban. Uh, Los Angeles urban peoples now. still yeah I was not aware of that. yeah yeah wow. yeah okay so then it is but maybe he just didn't you know yeah. recognize that yeah. yeah which happens in America quite a bit clearly yeah wow um, and yeah what was your first experience of the film did you see it theatrically did you catch I, I, it later yeah no I think I did see it in theaters and uh, I think you know that yeah we love th- still think I think we still need to see the, you know films in theaters but oh, yeah. you know we consume so much I think um, like everybody else we're just consuming stories you know uh, at uh, after work uh, just kind of going oh I'm going to binge on this or but it's still lovely to sit in a theater isn't it oh yeah yes yeah it's yeah. Um, oh, 
it's something that I've still, I mean, I'm lucky enough that I still get to do it fairly often, but I know that the experience is disappearing for a lot of people. Right. Um, I was talking to somebody back in Toronto last week who said that going to see Parasite, Parasite was the first one they seen in the theater in a year. Wow. And it was okay. because of, it was before the Oscar win, but it was because of the buzz. Yeah. And he said, you know, we just, we went out, we made the trip. And I'm like, oh my God, you've only seen one movie in a theater all in a year. How are you alive? How are you alive? Well, well I get it. You know, TV sets are bigger at home. But we have bigger TVs and we have great sound systems now. So I guess that's what we're doing, right? No. We're bad, staying inside. <laughs> bad, bad. You have to go out. You get outside. Maybe we can, maybe this will be the start of the crash, the renaissance, the rediscovery of crash and people can see it. Because I, I think you do need to see it with a crowd. Although now I worry that people will, you know, watch it ironically and, and hiss or hoot or do dumb stuff. Because people do that, and it's annoying anyway. Okay. The only thing you can That's do that right. with is cats. Okay. Le- yeah, that was... I, by law. I haven't seen cats. I'm I sorry. saw it in the theater. Did you? Really? Okay, you terrible. did. You got the full experience. Yeah, I don't recommend that. Oh. Um, but, yeah, no, there are films that absolutely benefit from being seen with an audience, especially something like this where you have the potential to hear people responding differently, different scenes landing with different crowds. Yeah, why wouldn't why wouldn't you want to do that? Why wouldn't people want to go see a movie in a theater? Well, I yeah, I mean, I think um, I think we're busy. There's one thing, but sure. um, but I know you know as a filmmaker, even you know you're watching your film over and over again, mm-hmm. and what's always fascinating is what uh, you know what people respond to or what they don't, and uh, watching people. So that's the weird. You're a little bit of a you're not a stalker, but you're sitting there. You're not necessarily always watching every scene of your film. You're watching people watch your film. Yeah, oh, which is sad. It's got to be but, a voyeuristic experience. <laughs> but uh, their responses too are different, right? Mm-hmm. In different places, so it's kind of fun. Yeah, and and yeah. to that end, I mean, there's there definitely a, there's a running theme in Red Snow about people perceiving what they want to perceive, seeing other people as they want to see them. Uh, and and when you brought up Crash, I thought, oh, right, there is that right. that entire arc in your film. Uh, without giving any spoilers away about people. I'm just trying to figure out how to talk about it. Um, well, I mean, both of the principal mm-hmm. characters are loyal to more than one thing. Yes. Or, or divided in their loyalties. And, yeah, how, how do you build something like that as a writer? How do you structure that? Was Crash in your, in your mind when you were working on it? Or was it just... Well, certainly, uh, I do believe contact sometimes is like a, a collision. Uh, so it's really looking at uh, what happens when two, you know, different peoples uh, from extremely different back- backgrounds um, uh, come face to face with each other. So on the face of it, you go, well, these these are two ancient indigenous cultures that have survived many wars. Yeah. Um, but but uh, we have very different systems of belief. Um, and a lot of things that connect, you know, because of uh, still being connected to the land and still being connected to uh, the identity of what that gives you. Mm-hmm. So those were kind of, the, you know, the launch-in points. Yes. And so you write them into conflict. Well, yeah, I, I think uh, we can be, we're conflicted with each other uh, a lot, but I think it's always... Uh, when we have to survive things are, that are bigger than our, uh, our smallness, uh, we tend to rise up to that as human beings, and we tend to have to rise up to that together. Yeah. Yeah. And how are audiences responding to it? Now that you've seen, it, seen the film with audiences, are they, are they getting what you're 
trying to say? Yeah, I mean, I wasn't, uh, you know, you're, you're, I also wrote Red Snow, so a lot of times you go, well, um, I get it. <laughs> no, just <laughs> kidding. And there's a whole bunch of people that worked with me that got it. But um, what is it? How is it really going to land? But yeah, when you put it in front of an yeah. audience that doesn't have the background that you brought, that yeah. you brought to it. But I was I was really pleasantly surprised. Good, right? good. Because um, again, the structure is a little bit uh, out there for some people's. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, certainly, um, I think what we got to is that people were able to feel uh, connected to it. And be, they were emotional about it, and uh, they were surprised to see um, what would happen because it's not necessarily um, you're not going in going you're not really knowing where you're going to get to. So yeah. um, that was kind of fun to see how that uh, sat with them or where it sat with them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I saw it alone again. Okay. Uh, not in a theater. No, no it was not. A, it was sadly, not an option. <laughs> um, but I would be curious to see how it plays with a, with a room. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm always, I'm always curious. Yeah. I, uh, I, I, I like the idea that there are, you know, 400 people in a space all having different experiences of the same thing. And, and I mean, watching Crash was absolutely that too. Okay. And Tiff, it was, again, you know, you're in a room with. Everybody, right. and uh, because it's because it's a film festival, everyone came up, and you know there was a big introduction, and then there was everyone taking bows afterwards, and it was kind of a, a major love fest, right, right, uh, right. almost to an obnoxious point because it is a world premiere uh-huh. and it's all that. Yeah. But it's a um, it's an experience of a film that you only get to have once yeah. because the second time through you're watching a movie you've already seen, and it changes the. The dynamic, right. your expectations are different, and you're paying more attention to the audience this time because you want to know if people agree with you on your take. Right. Um, and the experience of it was, yeah, I'm watching, I'm watching somebody try. I'm watching somebody put his like for all the uh, complaints leveled against its earnestness and mm-hmm. its and its um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not. Yeah, I mean, I suppose intensity, the way mm-hmm. that it just hammers certain points. Yeah, absolutely. That's what happens when somebody cares and wants to make sure you get the message, right? Yeah. Like, it is a message movie. Yes. You know, you know, it crashes in a really traditional Stanley Kramer kind of way. Right. Um, and you can reduce it to, hey, can't we all just get along and, and the most basic. Mm-hmm. And that's that's sort of a, that's an insulting um uh, compression, right? I think it's. I I really like movies that try to do something, and and I respect the effort, even if it is a little bit uh, overly um, demonstrative uh, in its emotionality. I suppose. And now mm. I'm just sending like I'm trying to hand wave away its problems. It, but those problems are part of its effect. Yeah, I don't. For me, I don't think uh, movies have to be perfect. You know, I mean, I think uh, most filmmakers will obviously the pursuit is to make uh, a perfect movie. Sure. Um, you know, the execution, all, all the things we love to talk about, of course. But really, um, the perfection really is, I think, it, it lands, it can land differently, you know? It's so, for all the critiques of, of films, you kind of go, well, it was done in a perfect moment. 
of time. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it was done with the perfect intention. Uh, and I and I think you'll go in and you'll see it again, uh, revisit that movie, and you'll go, oh, that was a bit this or the, that. Oh, they could have should you know could have sure, yeah. done. But I think there's something to the idea that maybe um, art doesn't necessarily have to be perfect to all people. That it has to be perfect in the moment, and it has to inform uh, the next wave of what needs to be said. Yeah, that's a pretty good way to look at it. And and certainly, I mean, even Crash, it took a year and a half to win Best Picture, right? It was right. a TIFF in 2004. It didn't open until the spring of 2005. Mm-hmm. And then it took another full, almost full year, because it was late in March that the Academy Awards happened. Okay. It took a long time to be recognized. And when it happened, it was perceived as a, as a dark horse and a big surprise that it won. And I think, yeah, I think if it had... If it had been in the 2004 race, it probably wouldn't have won. Right. Um, if it had been in the 2006 race, it wouldn't have won. It was right at that moment where it was the movie that people needed, right. or the Academy needed, to yeah. embrace. Because I think, I and I could be wrong, I, I, I looked it up again because it had been a while since I've seen it, mm. like we all do. Sure. And I think it's it's Netflix's one of highest oh, highest really? hits still. And that's, you know... That makes a kind of sense. Yeah. yeah. So I go, why would it be, you know, because there's so, you know, we're watching so much. But I was like, that's curious to me, too. Mm. Like, but why? that cast, too, right? Like, oh, you, wow. you see you see Michael Pena and you want to go see more of his stuff and this yeah. comes up. Or Matt Dillon yeah. or Sandra Bullock or... They yeah. Were, yeah, they were a pretty beautiful ensemble. Yeah, right? it's pretty yeah. stacked. Yeah. And um, I'm forgetting someone else. I know I am. Terrence Howard? Uh, Terrence Howard. Uh, hold on, I have one yeah. more list. The guy that I'd love to, Don. Don, Don Cheadle, Cheadle, of yeah. course, Don Cheadle. Yeah. Uh, who is just always, you know, like, always the best thing in any situation. I'm just, oh, and Jennifer Esposito, who played his partner. That's yeah. Um, just a solid cast. Yeah. Straight on down. Yeah. Everybody in it is good. They're all good. So yeah. it's just beautiful to watch them. If nothing, you know, you're just watching the how they're. Um, Packing it in. Yeah. yeah, and I wonder if maybe that's it too. The message sort of overwhelms the idea that this really is an actor's movie. Like right. it is about performances. Yes. Well, they, they, as you were saying, you know, they didn't. Uh, there wasn't. There's a lot of dialogue, and a, a lot of it's very um, fast and uh, cutting, and you have to be on on top, you know, of that as an actor. Yeah. And it's building. It's not that it's just you're having one scene. You're building to these crescendos and. And so uh, that cast had to be very, you know, on on it. Yeah, yeah. and uh, for the people who are shouting, Brendan Fraser, Brendan Fraser. Yes, I forgot Brendan Fraser. Oh, I'm sorry, you oh, Brendan, I you I, forgot Brendan. And he's a lovely guy. And he I is feel a terrible. lovely guy. Yeah, yeah, he's good in it, too. He is, yeah. right? Like, yeah. it's, it's one of those things where the casting is yeah. really smart. It's people who can play against our expectations or right into them. Yeah. Um, and, you know, for all the talk of Sandra Bullock really pushing herself to play someone unlikable, yeah. it's in her wheelhouse. She's capable of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was, yeah, Fraser or, or, or Newton especially, I think, who never been seen with that kind of range okay. or never been given an opportunity in an American film to demonstrate that sort of range. Yes. Yeah. I've been aware of her in her Australian work for years, but, you know, then she shows up in the second Mission Impossible and, and is just so misused by that right. film that people would come away thinking... This woman they'd never seen before was just sort of okay. She's all right. Yeah. No, she's she's extraordinary. Actor. She really yeah. is. Yeah. yeah. And Dylan's a you know as you said at the top of this, Dylan's a great scene partner for her, and and he's he's pretty legitimately. Solid. Yeah, I really love his you know his his wheelhouse what he's been doing, but um, but yeah, the com- I think the combinations too, like the surprising combinations too, really ignited uh, those actors and. 
the challenge of, you know, uh, drama, right? Yeah. High stakes drama. See what happens when yeah. these two forces are in the same space. Yeah. That's what movies are. That's it. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> My thanks to Marie Clements, whose new film Red Snow opens in Toronto, Vancouver, and Ottawa this Friday, March 13th. Thanks also to Jen Paris and Nicola Pender. They know what they did. Marie's not on Twitter, but you can follow her movie at Red Snow Film, all one word, and you can find Crash on Blu-ray and DVD from E1 in Canada and Lionsgate Home Entertainment in the U.S. It's also streaming on Crave in Canada and Netflix in the U.S., and it's available for rental and purchase on iTunes. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner, and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at SomeoneElsesMovie.com. And if you're at Toronto Comic-Con on Sunday, March 22nd, catch our first live episode, 2 p.m., podcast stage, room 802B. It's going to be fun. Our theme song is by the last year. If you like it or the show in general, say so. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or wherever you've been enjoying us. Every little bit helps. It truly does. And check out the other shows on the Frequency Podcast Network. They're pretty good. Thanks for your support, and thanks for listening. See you next week.